Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to TCK Care, the podcast with creator, producer, and host, that's me, Stephen Black, here to share more stories, strategies, inspiration, etc. for supporting whole soul living for TCKs. And joining me on the show today is someone who I, I've actually been interested in talking to for months now. A couple of months ago, I was looking up TCK-related books on Amazon. I found the book Misunderstood, and I was like, hey, that looks like actually a really interesting book. I should get a hold of that lady, and then kind of put it on the back burner. And then Megan Norton, who came on the show earlier, introduced me to the author, Tanya Crossman, who is here with us today. So I'm glad that we're finally having this conversation. Tanya, welcome to the show. I know a little bit about you already. Thank I know you that you. Me. I know that you've written uh, Misunderstood, the book on TCKs. Um, I know that you've traveled a fair bit in your life, but I wanted to ask you specifically, because this is a very important question. Tanya, where are you from? I am from Australia, uh, but Beijing's home now. Okay. That was both creative and bold. It was like a slight hesitation, but then I'm from Australia. Going to go with that one. But I live in <laughs> Beijing now, and I like that too. That's a nice qualifier. That's an, That was a nice, slick way to... Um, say where you're from. It was short, sweet, and simple. That's actually something I talk about in every transition seminar with the PKs. Is have your your version. Nice. It's so important, right? Like the introduction to mm-hmm. communication, it, it, and it's the introduction to relationship. So having that intro is yeah. What actually surprised me though was when I moved back to Australia after you know 11 years in Asia as an adult, and my short answer didn't work anymore, and I had to find a new one. Oh no. <laughs> Well, that actually took me a couple months to catch up. If, if I can ask, what was that transition like? What, what was the short answer before and then after? Well, my short answer had always been, I'm Australian, I live in Beijing. But when I got to Australia and they asked, where am I from? As an Australian citizen in Australia, talking to another Australian, they meant which city of Australia I was from. And I didn't have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the place I'd lived the longest was Canberra, but I hadn't been there for 11 years. Then that's all. Where were you originally? Where were you born in Australia? Like, well, Sydney, but I, I'm and I'm now living in Sydney again. But there's a 25 year gap in the middle, so like, <laughs> it, it took me a while to work out that the answer needed to be Canberra is my home base, but I've been living overseas for the last decade. That was eventually my short answer. There you go. Because I gave them a place to connect me to in Australia, but also explained that I'm not going to know anything current, and it yes. gave them the opening to ask me about the rest if they wanted to. Mm, yeah. You just yeah, you just hit on those key components, right? It's short, it's sweet, it gives them a place, it gives them like that connection point, like, oh, I know where that is. I can like engage in conversation. There's a little bit yeah. of qualification there that like I'm not gonna be up to date with all of the pop cultural references, etc. And then they can ask yeah, the questions. Yeah, they... If I said I was from Canberra and they were from Canberra, they go they'd start asking me all this yes. stuff and I'm like Yeah, no, can't engage on that yet. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know Canberra anymore. So. Oh man. So my parents are. Yeah. Yeah. I still I've been living in the Portland area for 2 years now and I still <laughs> I actually had this conversation with someone just yesterday and he was like my grandparents live in name of city and I'm like don't know where that is and he said you know it's by that one shopping plaza I'm like don't know where that is and he said it's by the intersection of street A and street B and I just smiled and started shaking my head and he goes let me try this a different way Stephen do you know the direction west (laughs) and I said yeah I know that one he said they're west of here I'm like thank you thank you for dumbing that down for me because I needed that 
Yeah. I I mean, living in Sydney, there's all this stuff that people instinctively know, right? Like there's these areas that have names and have um, stereotypes and jokes, and I just didn't know any of it. Uh, it took me, I, I was living there for three years, and by the end of the three years, I just about got to the point where I would understand the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and then I left again. Oh, of course. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now that we've established your credibility as an insider into the TCK experience and the dilemma that comes with answering that dreaded question, <laughs> Tanya, Tanya, can you tell us a little bit about your book, Misunderstood? I was just looking it up mm -hmm. and it looks like you interviewed, what was it, 270 something TCKs? Something like that. Yeah, it was at least that many. That's as many as I had written down. <laughs> okay. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I've been working with TCKs mostly in China, but also Cambodia for about 10 years. So I had a lot of stories and, and, and conversation that had gone into the book before I did any official interviews. And so the, the number's always a little bit sketchy. But yeah, I, I did about 270 interviews for the book specifically. Um, some of them are quite general about people's lives. Some are very specific about particular topics that I was covering. Um, but what's interesting is the book really came from when I started working with parents of TCKs and realizing there was a lot of stuff that to me was quite obvious about the TCK life that a lot of these parents who were well-meaning and trying to engage with their kids just didn't get. And I started switching my focus to working with parents and equipping them and giving them tools. So the book was originally designed to explain to parents or counselors or youth workers here's what the perspective of the PCK is, here's where they're coming from and how to understand them better so they don't have to cross the cultural gap to you, you can come to them. Um, but during the interviews, realise that no matter what I do, TCKs themselves are going to read this, so it's got to work for them too. So I restructured the whole thing to work on both levels. Mm. Um, that it's both explanation for people who don't have this experience, but also affirmation for those who've been through it that you're not alone, that other people feel the same stuff um, and that you make complete sense within your context. Mm. Which is so important for all TCKs to hear, right? Because that is definitely a thing. Like I must be, I must be alone. This, this, con this experience must be completely unique and peculiar to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's not. Um, and even that, you know, emotions are common to human beings. And so even someone who's not a TCK, the emotions that you went through in your experiences, they will have experiences they experience the same emotions, if for different reasons. And there's ways that we can connect as human beings. Um, so yeah, there's, there's your, every person in the world has a unique life experience and there'll be people who have more and less overlap with you, but um, it doesn't mean that you are doomed to always be misunderstood, which is kind of where the title of the book came from. Mm. Uh, it was, was, breaking down that belief that you will always be misunderstood. Um, it was a big issue for a lot of people I interviewed and I wanted to both tell them that that isn't going to have to be your fate and also to equip other people in their lives to provide an understanding that maybe they felt was lacking. Mm. I really like what you said earlier about how there are, you know, everybody has their own unique life experience story and some of it will overlap mm -hmm. with yours to varying degrees. And while they may yeah. not have had similar or identical events in their life story, there's emotional components that um, that will that you can relate to. 
Yeah. And, and, and I think something I heard a lot was the TCKs who had got to a place as young adults or adults who, who felt quite settled in their life and quite secure all had stories of points in time where they had made that sense of connection and understanding with someone who was not a TCK. And that gateway went, oh, I can do this. I, this is possible. I'm not limited. Um, and, yeah, there are pieces of you that other TCKs are going to understand in a way that others won't. Um, but that's not like the end of the story, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And now when you're talking about how um, this book is geared half towards TCKs to affirm their experience and affirm the connection that is very much a possibility for them, it's very much available to them. Mm -hmm. um, but then you said the other half is geared towards parents to try to bridge the cultural gap for them so that they can come to TCKs yeah. um, in their culture. Um, and just as a TCK, I appreciate that component of bridge building, right? Between bridge builders and the people mm -hmm. around them, which it's a funny to think about, but it makes a lot of I sense love, too. I love that you use the word bridge builder because that's, I mean, if I had like a life motto, that's it. Like that's when I look at all the different things I've done in my life, that's the piece I keep coming back to. I like being the person who bridges between, but that's between different groups, different people. Um, even transition periods in organizations I've worked for, I've often been the transition leader between one person leaving and a new person coming in. It's just mm. the the space I tend to occupy and that really is how I see my TCK work is all about building bridges between people. Yeah, that's really cool. It makes a lot of sense. And um, mm. that makes me wonder, is there the possibility that that bridge building uh, in your book in particular misunderstood could happen between TCKs and other people who are not parents, but maybe just interested in the TCK experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Like one thing I, I talk about a lot when I, so I'll travel and I'll speak to groups of expats and, and parents and whoever else. And one thing I talk about a lot is it's really important for TCKs to have adults in their lives who are not their authority figures, who aren't their parents, aren't their teachers, don't have that authority over them. Um, and so as expats, whether you're a parent or you're not, engaging in the lives of other kids and being that presence for them is, is really helpful, really important. Um, it's something I really encourage. And so, yeah, I, I think that's another part of it, why the book's there. Like it, you don't have to be a parent to engage with and support and understand TCKs. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And that's one thing I found really interesting. People often ask me what was surprised, what surprised me in my research and very little did because I'd been in the world for 10 years already. But this one did was, was how, you know, widespread this sense of the expectation to be perfect was. And when I started digging deep and understanding it, it, it did make a lot of sense because regardless of why you're a TCK, what reason your family has for being somewhere, you are almost always by definition, seen as a representative. So if you're a missionary kid, you're representing a faith and your God, which, you know, no pressure. Yeah, um, right. If you're, uh, if you're a, a embassy kid or a military kid, you're representing a country. Um, regardless of, of why you're there, you're often representing your country, your nationality. Uh, talking to a kid who's Cameroonian, who'd grown up in Tanzania and, and most of middle high school in Cambodia, saying that often... I'm not just the only Cameroonian a person's met. I'm the only African that they've ever met. So everything that she does is reflecting an entire continent of people. Like, I mean, 
when you stand out physically or you stand out for your accents, you stand out in these ways, what you do, you know that people are judging your identity based on you. So for me, every time I talk to a Chinese person and they're asking me about Australia, I know that how I act will be their entire understanding of what an Australian is. Mm. And so that puts a lot of pressure on your words. And when you grow up with that pressure constantly, it's not about how supportive your parents are. It really isn't. And, and that's what I'm saying. Most of these kids could not pin a time that any authority figure, including their parents, had said anything like this. Mm-hmm. But it comes from this environment of constantly being the one who represents. And even when they go home on visits, they're representing the country that they live in. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I go to Australia, I'm constantly representing China to Australian people. Yeah. And so Because you're not you're not just Australian, you're the Australian who lived it, who lives in China, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I visit Australia, I'm representing Chinese China and Chinese culture. When I'm in China, I'm representing Australia, right? Everywhere I go, I'm representing something. Something um, huge. And that's true for most people. Yeah. Yeah. And when you grow up with that, I mean, for me, I didn't leave Australia till I was 13. I had a pretty solid grounding in Australia. I, you know, all of my family lives there other than me. Um, so at least I had a sense that I could speak a little bit to what it meant to be Australian. But for a lot of TCKs, you grow up with no consistent connection to one place. So you're representing countries that you don't, feel entire ownership in either way you know I talked to a lot of so like embassy kids for like the US or Australia they often do these three or four year rotations and they go back and forth but kids from countries that are a lot smaller and don't have those same financial resources they'll send a family as an ambassador or as an embassy worker and they'll be in that country for 10 or 15 years and they don't come back the parent who works in the embassy might go back and forth for meetings every couple of years but the students don't so I'm talking to a kid who's Congolese left when he was four, went back for his first visit after he finished high school. Oh, my goodness. And yet almost his entire childhood, everywhere he goes, he's the only Congolese person. So he's representing a country that he has no first-hand experience of constantly. Oh, my goodness. Wowza. So that's where this pressure comes from. It's not about what people say. It's about knowing intrinsically in your bones that you're a representative everywhere you go. So everything that you do and say matters. And then you add to that, you know, generally they're in high achieving environments. I mean, 80% of missionary kids have at least one parent with an advanced degree. When you talk, when I talk to young adult TCKs about the percentages of adults worldwide who have degrees, like they can't believe the numbers. Uh, like In the US, the highest numbers I can find in the US, and in the US, 60% of high school students will start university and about 30% of adults have a degree. And TCKs listen to that and they're like, I'm like, these are the highest figures I can find. And they're like, that can't possibly be true because 95% of TCKs start university, hmm. right? Like they just, in their world, there's no other option. Mm-hmm. So there's this sense that their picture of normal is this tiny elite. Like they don't know that there's a whole other, you know, there's kids who who cry when they get a B, you know, it's, it's not about what parents are saying to them. It's about the environment they're growing up in that gives them this message that there is no other option. Mm-hmm. You are a representative. Everything you do and say matters. And there's only a very small window of what constitutes success. Mm-hmm. So it is really important for parents to be deliberate about, you know, fighting that because that's the natural pressure they're going to have. 
that's what they're going to feel unless you deliberately disrupt it and it takes conscious effort to disrupt it Hmm. i'm gonna make that my next question (laughs) (laughs) what do you what do you do how do you fix it how do you how do you disrupt it (laughs) How do you disrupt it? If you could just briefly explain how to raise perfect children overseas, like in the next, you know, five minutes or so, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, because I don't spend hours and hours trying to do this stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, like, understanding their perspective is key. And that's a large part of what my book is, is trying to express that perspective. But there's lots of other resources. Um Chris O'Shaughnessy's book is a great place to start. That's aimed at TCK's. Um, there's lots of blogs out there. I mean, just read what other young people are writing and saying to get a sense of this could be how my kid might feel. Um, but yeah, like I said, a, a big piece is creating space for kids to experience that love and support from you in areas where they think they wouldn't. Um, it means giving them spaces where they're not a representative. And that can be very difficult to do. Um, but I think it's it means that for a lot of TCKs, a space where they're with other kids is really helpful. So a TCK, especially if they're not in the school with other TCKs, but like if they've got a TCK youth group or they've got, you know, um, uh, summer camps or reentry camps, if they've got um, friends in another place that they can go and visit, like, helping them have those connections can be really good because it's a place where I'm understood. Um, but I just, I really, letting kids fail, it's it's hard, um, but you can start really young. <laughs> Encourage them to do things that they might not get perfect. Um, my, my top suggestion is to let kids cook for the family mm. uh, because it's a pretty... You know, there's lots of ways you can fail at cooking. Um, and as kids get older, you can give them more of a task where they have to come up with a shopping list and do the shopping as well. Um, you could measure things wrong. You can read a recipe wrong. You can do techniques wrong. You could burn something. You could, you know. Um, but the only people who see it is their family, the people who they are the tightest with. If they completely screw it up, there's other options. It's not the end of the world. The family will not starve. You could just order in some food or, like, eat cereal like I mean you, you know what I mean there's there's failure isn't a huge deal uh, and it gives them a chance to practice practical skills that can be helpful anyway um, but looking for little things like that stuff that kids can do within the family context where it's safe where they might not be able to get it right so don't jump in and fix it like let them do the cooking and if they mess it up you know age appropriate of course but like give them a chance to get it wrong um, that's really helpful mm. but also creating space for kids to be allowed to feel what they feel is so important. Um, so many TCKs hold back a lot of the uncomfortable emotions for lots of reasons and lots of legitimate reasons. Um, but being able to talk about that's really important. And I've heard multiple kids in interviews say that the person that they are least likely to be honest about those negative feelings with is their parents. Um, you know, one girl saying, I love my mom and if I tell her when I'm lonely or depressed or upset, she'll feel guilty for creating this life for me. But I love my life, so I don't want her to feel bad. So there's this sense of 
I think as parents, the hardest thing to do is to hear your kid be upset because you want to fix it. But over and over again, I hear BCKs, and I'm talking even middle school boys will say this, that what they want is for their parents to just listen and to hear them. They don't want it to be fixed. They know it can't be fixed. Um, sometimes you're just sad. My friends moved away. There is nothing you can do to fix that. Skype is not a good enough um, replacement. But being able to express that sadness and be heard in that sadness and have a parent just say, that sucks, I'm sorry, that's all they really need. Um, they don't need us to fix things for them, but they do need to be able to say that. And if we can create space for them to share those difficult emotions, you're setting them up for success long term because suppressing mm -hmm. those emotions is the most destructive thing these kids can do. Mm -hmm. Man, I really, so that's a download of a lot of stuff all at once. Yeah, definitely. I really appreciate that you brought in the the emotions. I have this conversation with TCKs time and time again, and I'll ask, you know, what would what would you like different about your experience? What would you change if you could? If you went back in time, what would you change? And um, just feeling it and permission to feel it, you know, having that permission from others yeah. and giving that permission to myself is always a big one. Um, and so I really appreciate yeah. that you mentioned that um, parents can help with that. They can help create a safe space and give their children permission to feel the feels and to uh, feel both the good and the bad without needing to fix it or save them or anything like that. And parents can start yep. by modeling it, right? And by admitting to their own Absolutely. feelings. Absolutely. So important. Yeah. Yeah. I, the thing that gets me is this, it's easy to say, really hard to do. And I literally teach this stuff and I still screw it up. Mm. Um, I had a, a, friends of us, they had to leave very suddenly and I'd come around to help sort of clean up and pack up. Um, and their daughter, who was, I think, nine at the time, comes stomping in. She's always been a bit the drama queen of the family. So she comes stomping in and she starts ranting about it, not fair, and I'm so cranky and, like, you know, these friends are still on holiday so we don't get to say goodbye to them and we're going to lose the dog, not their dog, it was the neighbour's dog that they just loved and they just all the stuff she was angry about. And I just I heard the words come out of my mouth, don't worry, you'll make new friends. <laughs> Like, I know that that's the worst thing to say. And it's just, it's so natural because you want to make them feel better. You want to tell them it's going to be okay. And and it is going to be okay. But when you're in that moment and you're upset, that's not what you need to hear. And so I actually apologized to her. I said, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. Tell me, tell me about it. And so she looked at me and then she came and just plopped herself on my lap and she just ranted for like five minutes. Um, all the stuff she was angry about, whatever. And when she finally ran down, I said, you know, I'm sorry, that sounds really hard. And it's totally normal that you would feel angry and upset right now. These are things that you should be angry and upset about. You're not always going to feel like this, but right now it's okay to be angry. And she went, okay, and popped off and she was fine all <laughs> afternoon. Like that, that was it. That was the end of it. Because she just needed to get that stuff out. She didn't yeah. need me to fix things that weren't fixable. Mm -hmm. She just needed to be heard and to be told it was okay to be angry. Mm -hmm. And so I talk to kids a lot in schools about outlawed grief where you feel like you're not allowed to share the things that you feel. Um, and I ask them to share examples of when that's been done and they, they'll all have stories. And um, often I get told, they were told, uh, don't cry. Um, or they're told to be strong for a younger sibling or 
they just were told all those happy things like it's going to be okay you'll make new friends it's going to be such a great experience it's going to be so good for you all that stuff um and then i'll say well what do you wish was done instead what do you wish people had said in, in instead of that and there's always this long pause but it always comes back to i just wanted them to listen to me i just wanted them to tell me it was okay to feel that way um and and i'm amazed at how young kids can articulate that need um, that seventh and eighth grade boys will say that, that fourth and fifth graders will say that. They know in, inside themselves that there's this need to just be heard. Uh, and I actually think that is one of the hardest things for a parent to do mm-hmm. is to listen to your kid be in pain and to just let them be in pain mm-hmm. and not step in. Yeah. It's, it's really emotionally difficult to do, but it's so important and it is an incredibly powerful expression of love. Hmm. That's great. You know, as you were talking, I was reminded of the classic empathy formula, which I learned in counseling school not too long ago, and I'll give it to you here for free, dear TCK, the podcast <laughs> listener. And it goes like this. You feel blank because blank. It's very simple. And so, you know, child is angry. You say you feel angry because we're moving. And I know this sounds really simple, maybe overly simple, but I've heard it described as magical handcuffs, that you're limiting yourself to saying something very simple because it has magically powerful properties to to give permission for feeling and to express that you're hearing and you're listening and to validate feelings and to do just Mm -hmm. a lot of magical things. So give it a try. You feel blank because blank. Give it a try. Let me know how it works out for you. But Tanya yeah. is spot on with what she's saying. So I hope you're listening to this and taking notes or something. Lord and knows I And if you I have am. younger kids, um, there's a really great book that is basically a workbook for parents on how to do exactly that with younger kids. Nice. Where they give you formulas, they give you worksheets. Like it's, It looks like a big book, but it's mostly workbook, hmm. mostly activities to do with the family and with your kids to help give them emotional vocabulary, um, and I actually, I think I have it right here. Oh, good. Because I want to know lately. what that is. is Emotional resilience and the expat child. Sweet. That's it. Practical tips yeah, and stories. This is my signed copy. Um, yeah, it's exactly what you're saying, that empathy formula. That's exactly the sort of stuff that she works through is those kind of exercises to teach parents how to do this with their kids. That's fantastic. Mm. Well, I think... We should probably stop there. This has been amazing. <laughs> There's so much so much to think about just with the TCK experience at large. I really appreciate and respect all the work you've done to have this conversation with TCKs. This isn't just anecdotal stuff that you're pulling out of the air and like, hey, this is how I feel, right? You've actually had these conversations with kids and you have some mm. really solid advice for parents on how to empathize with children, validate their experience, process with them, all that kind of stuff. So this is fantastic. But before we go, I want to ask, can is I, there anything that we... I was going to say, if I can just say one thing. Yes. I feel absolutely. like a lot of parents, I have these kind of conversations and they feel a bit heavy and a bit discouraged. But, you know, in, in addition to the interviews, I did a survey with like 750 TCKs. And of them, 98% said they would not take their experience back if they could. The vast majority of TCKs are glad for their experience, thankful that that's how they grew up even if at the same time they felt lonely or they felt resentful or they felt all these other things, there's a way they can integrate those two things together. And, and so 
I really think it's a worthwhile experience. It's got its own unique difficulties, but it, overall it's not a bad thing. You haven't ruined your kids' lives. You haven't, like, you know, screwed them up. You, you've given them some fantastic opportunities. And what I love to do is to come alongside and help parents manage the difficult part so their kids can just get the best out of their experience. Mm, that's excellent. Yeah, manage the difficult things so you can maximize on the positives. Fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tanya, so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing um, a little bit about yourself and also about the work you've done with TCKs. Um, I really appreciate you hearing it. I've been taking notes as well, so giving me a lot to think about. I'm going to go look up that book now. One more pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, happy to come back anytime. It's great to talk about this stuff. I think there's so much we can do to care for TCKs well. And it's often really simple things. It's, it's not that complicated. Very good. You've been listening to TCK Care the Podcast with me, Stephen Black, as we share stories and strategies for supporting TCKs. Hosting and producing TCK Care the Podcast is a part of my ministry, which is made possible by the generous support of my financial partners. If you would like to make a one-time or recurring pledge, please go to tckcare.com slash give. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate it on your favorite podcast app, and stay tuned for more TCK Care coming up next week. Mm-hmm.